someone took out a bad loan, they signed for it. The bank shouldn't have given it to them. They shouldn't have signed for it. We all have to own our stuff. This is the beginning of where life changes for all of humanity right here when we stop trying to find someone to pass the blame on, but we all own our stuff. This is what we call in the Bible repentance. Repentance begins with saying, it is I. It's me. It's me. Discontentment, covetousness, these are symptoms that you're suffering from the pride of life. Wanting more and never being satisfied is a way of exalting self. As we hear about Adam and Eve and their destructive desire for more, we'll see the beginning of man's tendency to put himself first, wanting to be like God. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, with our continuing study entitled, A Garden Calamity. Eve saw that the tree was good for food. First, it was pleasant to the eyes. Second, and it was a tree desirable to make one wise. There's three points of temptation for Eve. Now, it's interesting. If you look at 1 John chapter 2, it says this in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I call these the big three. Because this scheme of temptation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is the exact same way, if you look at Satan's temptation of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, Satan tries to tempt Jesus the exact same way. Here you get, when she saw that the tree was good for food, that's the desires of the flesh. Listen, we have to talk about this for a second. Let's back up for one second. This lust... See, lust means desire. Now, if you think about it, the lust of the flesh, the needs of the body, the lust of the eyes, the things that you see, and the pride of life, the way that you live, these things are all morally neutral. They really are. Food is morally neutral. The problem with food is, of course, is in a fallen heart, sometimes we eat too much consistently. Sometimes we choose not to eat at all, or we eat and then we choose to throw up. See, food's not the problem. Our heart is the problem. See, every sin is like that. I mean, even you you think about something like sleep. We need to sleep to be alive, right? When you work hard, you get tired, right? But if you take sleep out of the authority of Jesus, sleep can become slothfulness, laziness. Or you can choose not to sleep Both sides of it are taking the need for sleep and taking it outside of the authority of Jesus. Sexual desire. 
That's not a bad thing. It's just when it comes out from under the authority of Jesus. You look at every single sin. Most of the things are morally neutral. It's just when they end up outside of the authority of Jesus. So this tree is good for food. That's not a bad thing. I mean, we all go to the grocery store and we buy the produce that looks good, right? You don't buy the piece of the apple there that's got like the worm coming out of it. It's got a big brown crater on it. I mean, does anybody buy that one? No way, right? I mean, you got to be nuts to spend your money on that thing. But the reality is, is that the fact that it's good for food, that's not a bad thing. And your body needs food to eat. But Satan tempts her that way, just the way he tempts Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was fasting for 40 days, and Jesus says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He's saying, look, you're hungry. Eat. It's the lust of the flesh. Not only that, we get the lust of the eyes. Eve saw that it was good for food. She saw it. Of course, with Jesus, Satan took Jesus up onto a high mountain, right? And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, look at this. See, why are the eyes an issue? Because the eyes are the main gate between the outside world and our hearts. I mean, for for those of us who have our sight, for people who don't have their sight, other senses become primary. But the eye is the main gate through which we interact with the outside world. So the lust of the eyes. And of course, the pride of life. Eve saw that it would make her wise. You can have some pride in being smart, right? Of course, Satan tempted Jesus the same way by saying, listen, go up to the pinnacle of the temple and jump down. And when you, when you jump on off and the angels catch you, everyone's going to say, whoa, did you see that Jesus guy? He jumped off the pinnacle of the temple and the angels caught him. He levitated in front of all of us. The pride of life. See, for each one of us, these are the ways we're tempted. The desires of the body that are taken outside of the authority of Jesus. The lust of the eyes. The things we see. I think it was Francis of Assisi who said, I have heard thousands of confessions in my day and never once have I heard someone confess the sin of covetousness. How often you get a new car and then the newer model comes out and your neighbor buys one. My car's not good enough anymore. As people age, their body changes. And all of a sudden, we need a newer one, a better one. You buy a house. I mean, 95% of the world doesn't live in a 1,500-square-foot house. But right as we get settled, oh, man, a 2,500-square-foot house, that'd be nice. Not that, see, none of these things are wrong except when we're not grateful for what God has given us. I mean, we live in a culture that is encumbered by debt because there is a multi-billion dollar advertising and marketing industry that's trying to sell you everything. Sell you happiness. Sell you freedom in a bottle. Sell you the opportunity for a pretty girl to look at you for the beer that you drink. All through the eyes. 
It's amazing. Let's be honest. We all buy this stuff hook, line, and sinker, don't we? All of us. Let's be honest. Every single one of us is so susceptible to these things. You know you're watching, you ladies, you're watching, you know, Lifetime TV show. You know, all those shows about those women who get empowered by the end, and we love those things, don't we? Well, some of us do. But sure enough, every single advertisement is like there's a woman and she's got the creases in her eyes and she's got the, you know, the sagging chin and they, they bust out that cream, you know. Would, they put that cream on the eyes and it goes from being the scarecrow to being like you're 15 all over again. In like 13 seconds. Fabulous new anti-aging formula. Approved by three out of four dermatologists, and it's only $387. And every one of you gals look at your credit card statement like, can I fit 400 bucks on there for this cream? Right? I mean, I'm picking on the ladies. I don't even have to go with the guys. I mean, like, I mean, if you watch the Super Bowl, you see the stuff they market to guys. It's just garbage. Garbage. But the reality is, is we all buy it, don't we? Because the lust of the eyes is strong. Strong. Rather than being content with what God has given us. The pride of life. Some of your translations says the pride of possessions. See, in sports, a good team only needs a couple good moves. And you would use one until it doesn't work anymore. And then when that one doesn't work, you go to the next one. And you use that until it doesn't work anymore. And you go to the third one. When they make the adjustments, you can't stop that move. Then you go back to the first one. Satan's got three moves for all of us. Three areas of temptation. He did it with Adam and Eve. He did it with Jesus when he was in the wilderness, and he does it with you and I. So the question for us is, are we willing to ask God to give us a good defense if Satan's offense has only got three plays in the playbook? At this point in human history, by the Spirit of God, Satan should be shut down on these three moves. The desires of the body outside of the authority of Jesus, the things that we see that causes covetousness or a lack of being content and the pride of life, a desire for self-elevation or exaltation. All these things happened for Eve, and it says she took the fruit and ate it. And then it says she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate it. Now notice verse 7, the outcome. Their eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. See, they were naked and unashamed. They were innocent. They had no self-consciousness. They didn't even realize that they were naked. The moment that they ate, they looked down and they said, Hoo. and Eve went, Hoo. And you know what? In verse 7, we get the beginning of religion. They sowed fig leaves. That's religion. Religion is man's attempt to cover his shame. You know what's amazing in America? America has gotten so far that, you know how we attempt to cover our shame in America? We say it's not shameful. How sick is that? I mean, I love living in this country, but how sick is that? That we have dealt with our shame by saying it's not shameful. None of it's shameful. I mean, 
50 years ago, Elvis went on the Ed Sullivan show and shook his hips and people freaked out. Freaked out. You know, you see what's on primetime television today. Wow. Wow. See, Adam and Eve began religion by taking fig leaves. Now, it's funny, when I was living in uh, the Bay Area, I had a fig tree in my backyard. Very fascinating. Very fascinating. Because every time, fig leaves shed their leaves when it gets cold out. And they're big leaves, but they'd make terrible undergarments. (laughs) They're itchy. They're itchy. They're coarse. See, Adam and Eve, their knowledge of good and evil was self-centered. See, that's the, you know, my daughter Maranatha, she's sweet as buttons, and she is three years old, and it would not shock me at all if you came over to my house and Maranatha came peeling down the stairs totally naked. You know, just buck naked. You know, just kind of like... Now, you might be terrified. I may shoo her upstairs and tell her to put some clothes on, but she's three. She's not, she doesn't realize that you shouldn't do that. But there's an age that hits when a person becomes self-aware. If someone came in this sanctuary buck naked, we'd all be shocked, right? We'd be like, get some clothes on, you know? See, every sin, every sin has its root in being self-centered. Self-focused. It's all about me. Every sin does. Adam and Eve, right here, they try and cover their sin. Look what happens in verse 8. It says, this is beautiful. When they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Now, I mean... The sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Abraham Heschel, the great Orthodox rabbi, he said that Judaism, you can describe the religion of Judaism as God in search of man from this verse. What's unfortunate is that Dr. Heschel didn't know the half of it because God was so much in search of man that he sent his son Jesus to walk on the earth just as God came looking for Adam. See, this is why Christianity is different. You read every religious text, and if if you're one of those people like, I don't believe you do it, I did it. I ended up a Christian after reading it all. Every religion is about man in search of God or some conception of enlightenment or nirvana or whatever the word is. Only in the Bible do you find God in search of humanity. That's the difference. Every other one is man trying to attain. And not that, I don't think that people who are following this are evil. I don't think that they're terrible. I think they're just misinformed. Because if you're trying to find God, and you can't, and God says, look, I'm going to come find you, and he's really good at it, then we should just trust God. I realized that when I came to the Bible, the last of the spiritual texts, and I'm like, Whoa. So I don't have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca and I don't have to change my dietary 
the way I eat for righteousness sake. And I, and I don't have to sit cross-legged and try and clear my mind of every thought and divorce myself from every desire. But I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus because God came to find us. And when we do that, he puts a spirit in us and he begins to change us, not us doing it from the outside in, but God doing it from the inside out. And God is a relentless pursuer of humanity from the inside. I love this. Adam is hiding. God's looking for him. Now, God knew where he was. And when God says, where are you? That's not an interrogation of an angry officer. That's the heartfelt cry of a father. Where are you? God's looking for Adam while Adam is hiding. Look what Adam says in verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. See, this is the human condition. Because we become self-aware, we have shame over a million issues in our lives. And God wants to have an unbroken fellowship with us and we are hiding out. I mean, we all know what this is like, right? You put your faith and trust in Jesus. You start going to church. You start developing Christian friends. And then you start screwing around. And what do you do? You bail out. And your Christian friends are calling. Hey, what are you doing? Where are you? And you don't call them back. Why? Because you're hiding out. You don't want to have to say what you're doing. And all, all of us do that. And there's some of us in here today. We're not messing around. But we've let our religion keep us from God. We've let our Christian faith keep us from God. It's amazing when you realize, I mean, the Pharisees did that, didn't they? They allowed their religious beliefs to keep them from even realizing that Jesus was the Messiah that they had hoped for. Because they were more interested in their religion than the God who created them. And we have to be careful as Christians because, remember, Jesus had the biggest issue with the most religious people. We've got to be careful. The human heart is an idol factory. It knows no bounds in the ways that it can hide from Jesus. I say that as a pastor. There are pastors who are in pulpits. Their lifestyle is so far removed from the things that they talk about. Their pastoring is keeping them from Jesus. Jonah did that. Jonah let his ministry try and get him to run from God. I guess the question for us is, what are we doing? Are we running from God? God's looking for us? Are we saying, look, I realize I'm naked. I'm shamed, God, and I heard you, and I just didn't want you to see. But what's amazing is, is God sees. Look at verse 11. God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree from which I commanded you that you should not eat? Look at verse 12. Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now I'm going to close here in these two verses. Fascinating, fascinating. Adam and Eve were just in this glorious garden. Great times and right away now, blame shifting. Blame shifting. God comes and talks to Adam. He says, Adam, what's going on? And what does Adam say? Adam doesn't own his sin. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree. No, he blames God. He's like, Lord, this is your fault. 
You gave me this woman. Did you ever realize that? We laugh, but you know what? A lot of us are doing that right now. There is things in your life that you know are wrong and you're trying to blame everybody. Wrong. Wrong. Take ownership for your own stuff. Your spouse does not make you sin. They just set the playing field for all of your sins to play out. But your sin is your own. And my sin is my own. Every time you start to blame somebody else, you're just playing Adam. You're just trying to self-preserve. You're just doing the fig leaves. It's not me. It's you. I didn't do it. You make me like this. How often do we do that? Stress, my stressful job makes me do it. The woman that I was so in love with, she makes me so crazy. It's interesting. Adam blames Eve. Who does Eve blame? The serpent deceived me, she says. So Eve isn't like, hey, don't blame me. It's this serpent. And God, you created him. It doesn't say that in there, but... And what's amazing is that at this point, there's no one else there, so the serpent is stuck with the hot potato. <laughs> Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Brothers and sisters, listen. The time for the blame game has to stop. We live in a culture, I mean, politically, it's going on on every talk show all the time. What's who we're going to blame? Obama blamed Bush. Bush blamed Clinton. People are blaming Obama. In the end of the day, we are where we are because we've all made a lot of decisions. The occupiers are blaming Wall Street. Wall Street's blaming the government. When do we get to a point as humanity where we say, look, we are all culpable for all of these things? If someone took out a bad loan, they signed for it. The bank shouldn't have given it to them. They shouldn't have signed for it. We all have to own our stuff. This is the beginning of where life changes for all of humanity right here when we stop trying to find someone to pass the blame on, but we all own our stuff. This is what we call in the Bible repentance. Repentance begins with saying, it is I. It's me. It's me. And I believe that when we come to God and say, God, it's not your fault. It's not my spouse's fault. It's not my job's fault. It's not the Democrats' fault. It's not the Republicans' fault. It's not the Muslims' fault. Lord, I want to own my stuff. That's where the transformation begins, right there. Adam and Eve were, wasn't willing. They weren't willing to own their stuff. And my prayer for you and I is that we won't be like our parents, Adam and Eve. That we begin to own our stuff. That we wouldn't try and find someone to blame. We would simply say, God, I'm sorry. This is my fault. I'm doing this. And that's where the healing begins. That's where the transformation begins. By taking responsibility for our own actions. Jesus is real. When God called to Adam and confronted him about eating from the tree, he blamed Eve. Eve then blamed the serpent. Neither of them owned up to their part 
in their disobedience to God. As Pastor Daniel pointed out, that's classic human behavior. Just look at politicians. When we can own up to our own transgressions, that's repentance. We have to look at God and say, yes, that's me, and I'm sorry. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, we move beyond Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden and see how the consequences played out, not only for them, but for us as well. Pastor Daniel will note some challenging ways that Adam's fall continues to affect us in our relationships. But there is so much hope in the message because with every judgment that unfolds, there's the amazing grace that follows. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through his series entitled Origins. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.